is in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. We appreciate you subscribing to the podcast as well and passing the word along about what we do each week here. Michael, it's good to see you. Good to see you uh, on the computer screen. Uh, we're, let our listeners know that we're, we're, we're spread all over the country. Yeah, we're, we're uh, connecting via Zoom here like everyone else is these days. We'll talk more about the COVID era here in just a few moments, but I want to give a little overview of what's ahead of the program. You're going to take us to Jerusalem today. That's right. Actually, uh, Joe, um, our, our producer, Joe Carlson, was with me, and uh, I got to show him uh, some of my favorite places. <laughs> and we're going to meet a person who's become very special to you there in Jerusalem, a shopkeeper. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment, and you're going to sing for us. And then we're going to step back into your extended series, Teaching from the Book of Luke. That's right. That's right. Uh, the Gospel of Amazement. This is uh, something that was recorded at a recent Biblical Imagination Conference. Actually, it was recorded in 2019, which is very recent. That's not very long ago, I guess. No, that's not that long ago. Something that uh, goes back a couple of years, though, is when you in the, got in the studio with Joe and recorded the Greatest Miracle song. So let's open with that song. Is that all right with you? Absolutely. This is a n- nice little song. This was recorded in the studio One, two, with Michael Card. desperate father came begging a boon for he feared that his only son would be dying soon so he came to Jesus to plead for a sign in the very town where he turned water to wine stop seeking for signs quit pointing to proofs see how the sun shines hear the rain on the roof if you must be convinced You will never survive One of the greatest miracles Is just being alive So the man simply trusted Believing the word that Jesus had spoken, that his heart had heard. Your son will live now, just leave and go home. And he stopped seeking signs from that very day on. The very fact that you're here, that you're loved and held dear. If you must see a miracle, then just look in the mirror. Greatest Miracle. Is that Katie playing that drum? That was. Uh, Katie is uh, uh, a, a remarkable uh, Balron player. She's like a clock. <laughs> and she's a mother now of children. Is she teaching this to your grandchildren? Uh, on, honestly, uh, Eliane, her daughter, my granddaughter, uh, is not really interested in music. So Is that right? Oh. I've got another granddaughter who just, she's she's four, just told me the other day she wants me to teach her how to play the banjo. So Oh, boy. Oh, no. I'll be looking for a small, a small banjo. I'm selling one of my banjos to get her one, right? So, <laughs> so the beat goes on. The banjo beat goes on oh, in the yeah, current generations, right. huh? That's right. <laughs> That's funny. You know, this is the first chance we've had to talk, and we're connecting via Zoom here today. You're in Nashville. I'm in Chicago. Um, this is the first time we've had to talk about the COVID situation, which yeah. we've all been living with now for months, and yeah. it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon, does it? Yeah, well, you know, who knows? That's that's one of the unsettling things. I mean, there's there's the disease itself, which, you know, depending on which news source you listen to, right, is... One one says it's the plague and everyone's going to die, and one, the other one says the numbers are all uh, exaggerated. So you know, there's that. Not only is the disease bad, but there's this um, not knowing what the truth is. Right. And um, that to me is almost worse than the disease. Right. Uh, I have known a couple of people. In fact, a lady in our church, an older lady in our church, had it and recovered. Um, mm. 
My wife, who is a nurse, has been exposed to a couple of people with it. Uh, so you know, it's it's it's. Um, but but the yeah the uncertainty and everyone wearing the masks and I go to the grocery store and you can tell that the elderly people are afraid and you know that's uh, you hate to see that um, absolutely well how are how are you dealing with the personal shutdown I mean you're not traveling so well I've just started traveling again I just drove up to Indiana and did a Quaker um, camp. And uh, so we're we're just starting to get back now. Uh, big concerts yeah. are, are are a ways off, I, I think. But uh, yeah. But for me, I mean, I've I, I got a book written and and a second one. I mean, half written. So I made the most of the time. Mm-hmm. But um, I I don't know. I just I, I it, it troubles me just for our country. Um, my my fallback theological position is he's got the whole world in his hands and. Uh, the degree to which I'm worried is almost shows the degree to which I don't trust him and feel like God's in control because he is. Mm-hmm. And That's um, a good word. And the that thing is, is Wayne, he, this is the kind of stuff he uses. I mean, he'll use this to bring people to himself. Bad stuff is what he uses. So uh, plagues in Egypt and that sort of thing to show that uh, he is the Lord. So. We've already seen some of the positive outcomes, haven't we, yes. from all the trouble that we're going through. People are are asking deeper questions, spiritual questions. I think so. Seeking, and, and actually, yeah. a lot of people have come to faith, uh, more so in other countries, I think. But as a result, I know in Iran, there's been a huge uh, revival that uh, some people are anyway are connecting to, uh, to the COVID. Well, a bit later, you're going to uh, open up the book of Luke to us from that recording at the Biblical Imagination Conference. But before we do that... You're going to take us to Jerusalem and introduce us to a shopkeeper. Yeah. Tell us about Ely. Ely, I think he may be my favorite person uh, in Jerusalem. Next to our bus driver, Kamal, uh, Ely is a scribe. You know, Jesus talked about the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, he is a real scribe. He went to school and he he uh, copies manuscripts. I mean, very expensive manuscripts for synagogues, but he also uh, does little scrolls that go into mezuzahs and um, uh, phylacteries and that sort of thing. He is a scribe, and he is the most precious little guy. Uh, at this point, he was set up in the back of a little store called the Mount Moriah Bookstore. I think he's since moved to another location since then. But he loves people. He loves to talk about the Bible. Uh, he knows, you know, he knows I'm a Christian. He actually helped us on one of our videos. And I... I I've just been loving up on this guy for about 17 years, and um, uh, and 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 Joe got to meet him and and be with him and hear him, and uh, uh, yeah, he's just one of those little jewels. <laughs> yes, producer Joe was with you that day and recorded uh, the exchange there with Ely in his shop and some of the other folks with you there, and then after uh, we hear from Ely, you and Joe are going to take a walk through Jerusalem. This will be fun to listen to. So let's get going with that. You have to always let the spirituality of God through you and out. Always. There's not something you do and then you finish it. This is wrong. You can rest, but you work always. You know the King David says, I was sitting in the house of God always. Chapter 23. 23. Yeah. Well, I was sitting. Oh, it's not true. Well, you are a king. You have a, even you want to be a supermarket uh, manager, <laughs> there is no time sitting in the house of God. You are a king of Israel. You go to the war. You go, you sleep, you eat, you do a lot of things. How can you say I was always in the house of God? That's question. You asked me earlier. I, I told you. Yeah. So what is the answer? Well, you said that wherever he went, he Whatever abided. He did, that was will of God. Mm. So always, he was in the house of God. Mm. Wherever he goes, he made that place house of God. Mm. So that is a important thing to do. Even the back of the store. Yes, but God wants from you something, God from me something, from him there is something he wants from you that if you don't do it, nobody can do it for you. It's missing something, that thing in the world. There is some reason that there is a thing that just you can do it. Nobody else. That is the, what he wants to do it. 
wants us to do. You have a different uh, will and different thing. Everyone has to find to do that. I'm not saying that you have to worship God and you do, do a lot of things. No. The commandment. There is one thing that you have to do. If you don't do that, you missed your life. Is that Shema? The one thing you have to do? You as a person, there is something you have to do. Mm -hmm. He has to do, I have to do. Everyone, there is one thing that he has to do. That's why he's born. Otherwise, he's missing it. You understand? Yeah, hallelujah. That takes time. I'm not saying one day, two days, but this is the reality. This is the Bible teach. So this is your job. That's what you have to do. What I can know, what I know, you don't know. What you know, I don't know. We need each other. You know, everybody always needs each other. Everything. So after all the times you've been here, do you just feel familiar in these streets now? Because I'm... I just feel completely turned around. Really? Yeah. No, I mean, but but the thing is, it's not like I know the whole town. I know the way to the hotel and back, uh, and, you know, I know how to get to the Mariah and the, the wall. And Now, if you dropped me in a different part of the town, I'd be completely lost, too. <laughs> <laughs> what gate do you want out, Mike Jaffa? Or We're going to go to Jaffa Gate. We're going to go right by Christchurch. So we'll go right around. In a minute, you're going to know right where you are. Gotcha. Yeah. Go right up through this alley. Well, I do think it's neat that here he is a scribe, and he could just be, you know, this guy who copies and went to scribe school. And, but he really loves the word. He, you know, you see that. Well, not just to interpret it. It's like in his own way, he's teaching it. Yeah. Because he wanted someone to understand yeah. that all of God's word is important. Even one verses that you don't think yeah. speak to you right now. In time, it will speak to you. Yeah. I really, I think he's kind of a, he's just a little treasure. Well, and you can see in the joy when he has all these people around him yep. and how he's engaging with people. It just... Well, and I, I asked him a couple of years ago because, you know, we, I, we, he, was, he helped us with a video, uh-huh. a lament video. Uh-huh. And then I didn't see him for seven, eight years. I'm walking down the street in Jerusalem and I hear, Michael, Michael. <laughs> and he runs up and he goes, I found you. <laughs> it was so cool. And I didn't remember who he was. I mean, not from that long ago. And I said... How is it that you remembered that from that long ago? He said, because you were kind to me. Wow. Yeah. Okay, now how do we navigate this? We wait here because it gets real narrow. What fun. A walk through Jerusalem, producer Joe with Michael Card. And uh, boy, just feel like you're there when you listen to that. Hey, let's switch gears and let's go to recording now of the Biblical Imagination Conference in Manchester, New Hampshire. Michael's going to teach from the book of Luke. But before that, he leads the participants in this worship song. Thank you. 
to the Lord. I just handed in a book called A Lyrical Life. It's 40 essays on the life of Jesus based on song lyrics. And so that's done. But I'm working, what I'm working on now is um, it's what the details mean. So I'm going through every, you know, minute detail. And I'm, I'm actually learning or trying to learn at what point is enough enough, right? At, at what point am I obsessing over a detail? And at what point does it really help you get to know Jesus better? Right, so some of these may be a little bit obsessive, but um, uh, like I've dealt with this for the last three months. I've been reading articles and books on what languages Jesus spoke. I just think that's interesting. Uh, the ninety percent position in you know amongst the scholars is well, Aramaic is the is the language people speak. So uh, clearly, he speaks uh, Aramaic. Uh, he would have also spoke spoken Hebrew because that's what they speak in synagogue. They read the Bible in Hebrew. They have targums in Aramaic, but they, uh, they read the, the Bible in Hebrew. But there's also a, a lot of people who believe he, sp he spoke Greek, too, because he speaks to Pilate. He would have spoken Greek to Pilate. The Syrophoenician woman only speaks Greek, probably, so he's speaking to her in Greek. Um, and again, none of these things are, are dogmatically provable. It's just we're trying to, trying to understand his life a little better. But it gets really complicated. Because there are other people who say uh, the passage that we have like in Mark where he's speaking talatakum and stuff like that, which people, everyone says are Aramaic. Or there are now people who are saying, no, he's speaking Hebrew, but he's speaking it with a Galilean accent. <laughs> so that's the point that it stops being helpful, right? That's the point. Just, I can't prove that, uh, but I can just say it gets, it gets pretty... Uh, but, but we do know he speaks with a Galilean accent because Peter speaks, you know, they know he's from Galilee because the way he talks. There are certain syllables that Jesus can't pronounce because, his, because of his Galilean ear and his, his Galilean accent, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, another thing I've been working on is the word for his occupation. Tecton is the, is the Greek word. And um, again, you know, articles and articles and articles about that it means builder or craftsman, not just carpenter. So he can build a stone wall. He can frame your house up. He can put a roof on your house. He's not just building chairs and, you know, the images of Joseph in the carpenter shop with the, you know, the saw or whatever. Uh, there's two Hebrew words that are, that are used. Uh, uh, harash is one of them. That's the Old Testament word for a craftsman. And it basically means somebody who cuts things. So he cuts up wood, he can cut stone, you know, he chisels stone, he cuts things up. And there's a, there's a later non-biblical word uh, called nagar, uh, which is basically craftsman. So the, it ends up craftsman, not just carpenter. Uh, he's more of a craftsman. Um, another thing I've been working on, I, I hope you think this is interesting. I think it's interesting. Um, rabbis. Jesus, Jesus lives, he doesn't live in the rabbinic period. He, he lives in what they call the proto-rabbinic period. Now that sounds like, that sounds picky, but it's actually very important. What it means is, in Jesus' day, there's no such thing as an ordained rabbi. That system is not in place yet, okay? Uh, in fact, there are some people that, are, that will say, we're not even sure what rabbi means. 
in Jesus' day. I mean, we know it from, it means, it's from Rav in Hebrew, which means great one, or master, or whatever, but um, the fact that it's, it's, uh, it's the proto-rabbinic period, um, it's part of that fragmentation. You know, you can't, here's what we do. We superimpose Old Testament Judaism onto Jesus, you know, with the, with the, the Spirit and the Holy of Holies and that whole world. That's not his world. And we also superimpose post-70 AD Judaism onto Jesus' world, and that's also not part of his world. That first century period is a very interesting, fragmented period that's not, not like anything else. So uh, it's not complicated, but it's just not that. Um, I don't know about you, I, I got real interested in, on the fact uh, or the question whether he wore a yarmulke or not, a kepa. I need to know that. Well, the answer is he didn't. That doesn't happen until the 5th century, okay? So in your imaginations, uh, you can let go of that. Um, but also reading articles about what he would have worn, uh, he would have worn a, a, a knee-length uh, coat, right? He makes fun of people who wear long robes. Right? He makes fun of the Pharisees for their long robes. So the idea is he, it's a, it's a knee-length uh, uh, outer coat that he wears. He's got his uh, prayer shawl on that has the fringes. We know that because the woman reaches out to touch them. Uh, Celsus, who is uh, a second-century writer, who was anti-Christian, he didn't like Jesus. It's, he's very negative. He described Jesus as looking scruffy. So uh, I think that's probably pretty accurate, though. Uh, here's another new, new thing for me, and then I'll, we'll get on to Luke. Uh, in, in, uh, in the Talmud, which, you know, is later, but it reflects, it can reflect what was part of the first century, um, and you see this reflected in the Gospels, which is why I think it's valid. There was a belief that there, there are four miracles that only the Messiah can do. Because we know in Jesus' day, there are other people that are healing people, right? There are other people that are exercising demons, okay? That's not unique. But there are four things, four miracles only Messiah does. The first one is heal someone who's born blind. Only Messiah can do that. And when Jesus does heal the man born blind, what do they say? We've never seen anybody do this before, right? So that's unique. Um, raising somebody from the dead. Curing a leper was only the Messiah could do that because leprosy was looked upon as death. In fact, the Talmud says it's harder to cleanse a leper than it is to raise the dead. So the fact that he cleanses lepers, is uh, that's a messianic one. And exorcising a deaf spirit. They thought only a Messiah could do that because a deaf spirit can't hear what the, per the exorcist says. So the person has to have this, you know, more power to, you know, overpower a deaf mute uh, spirit. So those are the four things. And uh, part of the homework that I'm, I'm going to still have to do is to look at the context of each one of those miracles when he does them. And, uh, but my guess is there's always going to be some indication that this is out of the ordinary, right? Uh, and here's another little sidebar, uh, and then we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to this structure of business. But my, one of my questions was, what are the non-negotiables in Jesus' teaching? What does Jesus say, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Baptist. We want to do uh, the least possible, right? So, so what are, what are the, what's the non-negotiables? What's the, what's the bottom, right, what's the bottom? Uh, so I've got one, two, three, four, I've got five things. And uh, the, first, uh, the first one is only in Luke. Um, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciples if you don't hate your father, mother, brother, sisters, your own life. And, of course, that's hyperbole in, 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 in relation to how you Love me, it should appear like hate. You love me so much, it looks like hate. He's not telling you to hate your father. That would be violating one of the Ten Commandments, right? He doesn't do that. He does not break the commandments. Um, Luke, that's Luke 20, uh, 14, 26. And 1427, you can't be my disciple if you don't take up your cross. And that's, a, a, again, a sort of metaphorical way of dying to yourself. You take up your cross, you're saying no to yourself. Uh, in Luke 14, 33, he says, you can't be to my disciples unless you say goodbye to all your possessions. And Luther, Luther, one of those guys says, you possess them as though you possess them not. I'm, re I'm ready to give away anything I got. Okay. Okay. In John 3, 
He says, you cannot enter my kingdom unless you're born again. You've got to be born of the Spirit or you can't. You know, you can't enter the kingdom. John 8, 24, he says, uh, if you don't believe that I am he, you know, you're going to die in your sins. So if you don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you can't be one of his disciples, which is, that seems pretty simple. And this is uh, under the you must language, but it's a still idea. John 13, 34, you must love one another. Yeah. Interesting that love of enemy is never given with that same ultimatum, but you got to love each other. He doesn't say, unless you love your enemy, you can't be my disciple. He says, love your enemy, don't get me wrong. But he doesn't make that as a non-negotiable. And finally, on Matthew 7, 1, you don't judge. You can't judge people. So I don't know. I think those kind of things are just interesting. And I should know, you know, we should know those things. Like, can you name his brothers? Do you know how many, how many brothers do Jesus have? Four. He's got four. You know their names? They're easy to remember. James, you know. Jude, you know. Okay, one of them's named Simon. And one of them's named Joseph. So everybody's named Simon, so that's an easy one, right? And Joseph's one of them's named after his dad. So he's got four. And he's got at least two sisters. But, you know, when I first asked myself that question, I couldn't name his brothers. Well, we should know that. Amen. Right? Okay. There it is. No condemnation. I'm not condemning you. Because I'm telling you, I didn't know those things. I didn't know those things. And with that, we're quickly coming to the halfway point of our program. Thank you, Michael. If you've been challenged by what you've heard so far, please share your comment or post a podcast review when you search for Michael Card on Facebook or Twitter. Or use the contact us section of our website at michaelcard.com. Well, even in these COVID-19 days, we're hoping for the time when we can have Michael back touring and teaching at the Biblical Imagination Conferences. But be sure to stay current by following Michael on social media or online at michaelcard.com. In the second half, we'll hear more teaching and music that fits into the study of Luke that we're enjoying. All this and Michael's closing perspective on the hour coming up in just a moment here in the studio with Michael Card. excited about next week's session in the studio with Michael Card. In a current edition, we'll continue to explore the book of Luke. Our focus is on a centurion's faith and John's doubt. We'll pay tribute to Dr. J.I. Packer with a look at a conversation about jazz music. And to wrap up the hour, enjoy the sound of a large audience worshiping at a past Michael concert event. Look for the post, tell a friend about our podcast, look for Michael Card on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. again thanks for joining us for this edition of in the studio with michael card and thanks for subscribing to this podcast michael we're going to continue your teaching at the biblical imagination conference but you have a song we're going to share with our listeners now yeah during during the conference uh we talk an awful lot about the the jewish aspects the the uh the backgrounds to the gospels jesus is a rabbi and what that means and this is a song called rabbi's heartbeat and it comes from an image of uh, the young John leaning up against Jesus during the meal and possibly even, you know, hearing his heartbeat. And uh, I just think that's a really tender image. Isn't it dark for this time of evening? Does it seem cold for this time of year? You will forgive me now for asking, but it seems strange to find you here. Here in this empty upstairs chamber Just a few hours before the dawn In a few moments he'll be coming In a few moments he'll be gone As they recline around the table As each of his followers finds a place As each of them gaze upon the mystery of the dark riddle of his face Could they be wandering in the shadows 
Is this the end or just the start? If they had only learned to listen To the beat of the rabbi's heart The rabbi's heart, it will be broken To finally break the fallen curse And the stillness of that heart was felt Throughout the universe And then they'll find the faith to listen And new hope to make a start And they'll hear the sacred silence of The beat of the rabbi's heart What could he mean, this is my body? How could he say, this is my blood? How will he let himself be broken? Will he be poured out like a flood? In the confusion and the sorrow All of their hopes are torn apart But then the youngest leans and listens To the beat of the rabbi's heart The rabbi's heart it will be broken To finally break the fallen curse And the stillness of that heart was felt Throughout the universe And then they'll find the faith to listen And new hope to make a start And they'll hear the sacred silence of The beat of the rabbi's heart Is that the morning light that's breaking? Is that the dawning of the sun? Now that the final meal is over Now will you simply go back home? Or will you linger just to listen? For only an echo in the dark Or hear the holy hidden power Of the beat of a broken heart Okay, so let's look at this uh, unimaginably paradoxical prototype. Well, if you're in Luke, go to, go to chapter five, uh, 526. That's where it starts. Let's talk a little bit about structure. Because, you know, one of the things we learn to listen to, as boring as this sounds, is you've got to learn to listen to structure. The structure of a book. Matthew's really easy. You get yourself a red-letter Bible and flip through Matthew. You're going to find five blocks of red letters. Like the five books of Moses. I mean, that's Matthew. That's how he thinks, right? It's interesting to me that the worst Jew Jesus has on his team writes the most Jewish gospel. Isn't that interesting? But that's the structure of Matthew. The structure of Luke, uh, it's all structured around what we call the travel narrative. From chapter 9 to chapter 19. In chapter 9, it says, And Jesus resolutely set his face for Jerusalem. And so between 9 and 19, those 10 chapters in Luke, that's just Jesus walking to Jerusalem for the last time. And the other Gospels don't do that. The other Gospels don't do that. And, and when you read those 10 chapters, there's as he was going along, as they were going through this town, you know, about every couple of paragraphs, there'll be a little phrase that reminds you they're going someplace. They're going someplace. And uh, if you listen really closely to those 10, uh, those 10 verses, and we're going to look at this in just a minute, one of the interesting things that happens, the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the more concentrated his teaching becomes, because this is his last, this cha- last chance, and I list them for you in there. He starts speaking in maxims. He starts, uh, the, they become more concentrated towards the end. He sums things up and says it in kind of a short, pithy statement, which he, he doesn't normally do. Okay, so we'll, but we'll look at that. So that's a big structure. That's the big structure in Luke. But what I want to look at here is uh, a smaller structure. And I don't know if this is intentional or not. I think I open this uh, with a little, yeah, intentional uh, and unintentional structures. And that's just me thinking out loud. I think the travel narrative is intentional. If it opens with some literary statement, Jesus resolutely set his face for Jerusalem. And I think John or Luke goes, okay, now I'm going to talk about this. I think that was in t- intentional. The, the six panels in Acts, Acts is divided into six panels. That, I think that was intentional. He knew what he was doing. Unintentional, um, not always, not sure. 
Uh, I'm not, I, I can't be dogmatic and say he, he thought about this, but th- there seems to be a structure. And I say that just to uh, cushion my bet for what I'm about to say now, okay? And this is this business of what I call an unimaginably paradoxical prototype. 521 um, says, uh, no, 526 says this. Um, I'll start 25. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what uh, he'd been lying on, went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed. That sound like? That's Luke. Everyone's amazed. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. He can't just say they're amazed. He's got to say they're filled with awe. That's Luke Luke in language. And this is what they said. We have seen remarkable things today. Now, I, that to my ear sounds like a road, uh, a sign. That's, that, I think, whether it's intentional or unintentional, that's Luke's way of introducing a block of sayings that are remarkable things. But we have to look at the, that word for remarkable. Does anybody have anything different? We've seen remarkable things. Any translation? Okay. Anything else? Extraordinary. Well, the word is paradoxa. In Greek, the Greek word is paradoxa. Uh, and it obviously doesn't strictly mean it like a paradox the way we would think it, but uh, the para it means beside. Doxa is doxology, glory. And this is my unorthodox translation. But again, once again, I'm a banjo player, so hey, right? I'm not going to lose my, my job at the university. Uh, the other banjo players have no problem if I get the Greek wrong. So here we go. Paradoxa. Para, beside it, sometimes it means contrary. Doxa, glory. I think they say, we've seen, seen things that are, might otherwise seem contrary to the glory of God. Because what's fo- what follows is a whole s- series of Jesus doing things that he shouldn't do. So, so l- l- let's just look at those. And the first one, what's the first paradoxical thing he does? He chooses Matthew. He shouldn't have done that, right? Let's go back to that whole discussion. He shouldn't have done that. The, the calling of Levi, Matthew's not even his name, right? His name's Levi. Matthew, I'm convinced, is a nickname that Jesus gave him. I think he had nicknames for all of them. We know he gave Peter a nickname, right? Peter's not his name. What's his name? Simon, right? Boanerges, the sons of thunder, right? That's a nickname he gives them. Uh, Judas Iscariot, I think Iscariot's a nickname, uh, and if you read the commentaries, nobody knows what to do with this. Ish means man. Kiriath means village. The man from the village. No, I think it's Ish Sikari. He's, what, what did we used to call Chuck Colson? He was the hatchet man. Right? That's Ish Kiriath. He's the knife man. Right? He's the knife man. But again, I don't ever be dogmatic about what the Bible's not dogmatic about. But I think Matthew is a nickname that Jesus gave him, gift of God. Trust me, I don't think anybody ever thought of Matthew as a gift of God. Okay? So here we are. Let's, let's read it. Luke 5, uh, 27. After this, after the people said, boy, he does paradoxical things, uh, the first thing he does is he went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. He's in Capernaum probably, and there are all kinds of speculations about what kind of taxes he collected, the fish tax or this or that tax. It really doesn't matter. But he would have been, in Judaism, he would have been reckoned with murderers and adulterers. You know, why? Because he's the he's stooge for the Romans, right? He's, he's working for the Romans against his own people. And you hear, again, preached, and you hear in lots of commentaries, all kinds of, you know, venom against tax collectors. The interesting thing is, in the, in the uh, primary source material, there are very few complaints against tax collectors, which is interesting. Um, so he's sitting in his tax booth. Jesus says, follow me. Levi got up, left everything, and follow him. Absolute lordship of Jesus. Right? There's no indication Levi even knows who he is. I mean, he probably does, but we don't know. But if Jesus tells you to get up and leave a table that's stacked high with piles of money, and a lot of that's yours, you get up and you walk away. Okay? Not only do you do that, you have a party because you did that. Uh, so he gets up and he follows him. Then Levi held a great banquet. 
uh, for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, um, to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now the idea is they're probably not going in. They're probably standing at the door looking in. They're not going to go in Matthew's house because it's unclean, right? They don't wa- no one's washing their hands before they eat the way they're supposed to and all, you know, and there's all sorts of people in there. I saw a meme on Facebook that said, Jesus spent most of his time hanging out with people that you and I spend most of our time avoiding. Uh, and my other question is, the, the fact that the Pharisees can ask this to his disciples, again, I wonder, are some of Jesus' disciples standing outside? wonder if they won't go in either. Just If I was making a movie, that's how I would do it, right? Okay, so, so why is he doing that? So this is the first unorthodox, paradoxical thing he's doing. He should not be doing this. And again, we, we look at it from our point of view. We've got to look at it from, you know, a, a more sympathetic point of view, the Pharisees. Jesus shouldn't be doing These are people he should not be hanging out with. Okay, he should not be doing this. Uh, you're eating and uh, you're drinking with sinners. Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. Uh, interesting that Luke brings that up. How I wish it was only in Luke, but it's also in Mark. Yeah, <laughs> Missed it by that much. Um, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now that's unorthodox, right? That's a new reality. Matthew is very interested in the old orthodoxy and the new reality, but here, here it is in Luke. Um, They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. So John's disciples and Jesus, uh, John's disciples and the Pharisees are compared to each other. They're they're keeping the regular hours of prayer and they're fasting, you know, uh, according to the Pharisees. And Jesus and his disciples don't do that. They're unorthodox. See, chooses tax collectors. He 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 doesn't uh, live an orthodox life. And Jesus answered. Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? What's the purpose of fasting? Why do you fast? So you can be more sensitive to the presence of God, right? Jesus says, while I'm here, that's irrelevant. He says, when I'm gone, then they'll fast. He's assuming that we're going to fast. But while he's here, there's no point because he's the son of God and he's, we're right there together. So fasting is in, in his presence is really irrelevant. That's part of the new reality. See, so what we have is old orthodoxy, fasting, washing your hands, that sort of thing, uh, staying away from bad people. And we got the new reality that God has really come for the sinners. That's a new idea. That's a new idea. We're not, we're not going to look at all these. So anyway, the, the, the choice of a tax collector, he chooses sinners, unorthodox observances. He doesn't fast and pray like he should. Um, then there's a parable that he gives of, of the incompatibility of, uh, of the, old, uh, the old and the new. And that's t- you tear the patch. You know, you, you can't put a, a, a new patch on an old garment, right? You can't, put, you can't mix the new reality with the old orthodoxy. It just doesn't work, right? It's a radical new uh, world that he's ushering in. 6, 1 through 11, you have on your list there, uh, Sabbath violations. Now, Sabbath is an interesting, interesting uh, subject because you know how I was saying how fragmented everything is? The one thing everyone agrees on is Sabbath, okay? Now, the, 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 the Pharisees have added, they've built a fence around the Sabbath, uh, and that's not, not necessarily a bad thing. There, there aren't a lot of details about the observance of the Sabbath in the Hebrew Bible, Okay? Just like divorce, there's not a lot of details about you know, the causes and, and how you go through divorce. There's just not a lot of details given. So the Pharisees, I'm a, I'm a Pharisee, I come to you, I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to build a, law, a, a fence around the law to help you. And believe me, you, if your salvation depends on this, you better get it right. You better get it right. So that's part of the power that the Pharisees have. So Sabbath, uh, Sabbath is the one thing they all agreed on is, is the, the Sabbath. So here's, here's some of the, 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 the fences that I'll put around the law as a, as a, as a Pharisee. Some things you can't do. Um, you can't blow a candle out on the Sabbath. 
Why? Because the, the wick becomes charcoal, and making charcoal is work. So you can't blow a candle out on Sabbath. To this day, an Orthodox Jew will not turn the light switch off on the Sabbath. You have what's called your Sabbath goy. Goy is a Gentile. And I had a friend who lived next door to an Orthodox Jewish family. They paid him 25 cents to come over and turn the lights off. He was their Sabbath goy. When we go to, when we go to Jerusalem, uh, my Jewish friends, I always volunteer to be their Sabbath goy. When you, when you go to Jerusalem, you have what's called a Shabbat elevator. What's a Sabbath elevator? It's an elevator that stops automatically on every floor. Why? Because pushing the button is work. Now, let, uh, let, me, let me back up here a little bit. If, if you ever go to Israel, you will see that Sabbath is a source of joy for people. I mean, they have parties. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not just, they, they kind of get it in a way. We don't observe Sabbath the way we should. But a lot of them have a lot of joy on the Sabbath. But, but yeah, but, but in, I can tell you, in, in, in Jerusalem, um, well, the hotel we stay at, there's usually a party when, when Sabbath is over. And we, when, we first start, when I first started going, I thought it was a wedding party, you know, because they have party. But it's just the end of Sabbath party. And they have a good time. They have a good time. Oh, but you can't spit on the Sabbath. You know why? Because the spit might run downhill. And if it, runs, if it runs downhill, it'll make mud, and making mud is work. So you can't spit. So how does Jesus heal the blind man on the Sabbath? He spits, and he makes mud. Now, now that, he is not breaking the law. He's breaking the oral law, and he breaks it every chance he gets. He says, those are rules made by men. It's a burden that you put on people, and you won't lift a finger to help them. So he is very, uh, very adamant, but, but we all know Jesus is perfect. Does he ever break the law? No, he never breaks the law, right? But he breaks their law every chance he gets, you know. He, the lame guy goes, you know, pick up your mat. So you're not supposed to carry anything, right? That's work. So, uh, but yeah, so um, I don't know how I got onto that. Oh, that's part of the unorthodoxy. Oh, and Sabbath, yeah. So, no, he never breaks the Sabbath, but he breaks the oral law, you know, on the Sabbath. Creation seventh sunrise We stand before the burning bush of time The six days were good The seventh he called holy Creation seventh sunrise days a week to struggle with the strain and stress but the Lord's provided for the care of our souls a day to rejoice and rest creation seven sunlight we stand before the burning bush of time the six days were good the seventh he called holy Creation seven sunrise. Come see a sanctuary made of time. Come speak forgotten words of prayer. He calls us, come away from your dissonant days. Come out and leave your worries there. Creation seven.
Seventh Sunrise. Joining Michael there, Paul Eckberg on percussion, Steve Mikesell on bass. Uh, Michael, you were uh, teaching today. We heard your teaching from the Biblical Imagination Conference. Really, this is uh, the content of your book that you're working on, isn't it? Uh, it is. The, the, the newest book uh, is called The Nazarene. It's got bits and pieces from uh, uh, a lot of different uh, teaching times. There, there's 40, I think there are 40 songs that um, e- each song has an essay. So you listen to the song and then you read the essay, or you read the essay okay. and you listen to the song. Oh, that and, sounds good. Yeah, and it has uh, it has these kind of backgrounds to it. A, a lot of the essays do trying to engage with scripture, trying to listen, you know, with a uh, with my imagination. I tell everybody yeah. else to do it, but then every now and then I have to do it. So <laughs> yeah, well, you've been looking at the life of Jesus for a long time. I mean, what are some of your more recent impressions in this study? Well, I used to hear Bill Lane say. In fact, right before he died, he said, "I barely scratched the surface," and I would wonder at how he could say that and i'm starting to understand yeah i'm just you, you, the the life of jesus is so rich and so deep and um you think you understand what something means and then you see a whole other level of meaning to it and uh, there's no other you know book like the bible that does that there's no other life like the life of jesus that does that and um I, I find my, at 63 years old, I find myself in that exact place now. I just scratching the surface. Yes, I know what you mean. Thank you, Michael, for helping us dig just a little deeper. Our prayer was that this hour would be used by God to stir us all to take new steps of faith as we put what we've learned into practice. Let us know your reaction to what we talked about. You can interact with other listeners on Facebook or send us a note through the contact us section at michaelcard.com. On our website, you'll find more about Michael's books, his music, and conference ministry, like the teaching we heard today. These resources are designed to help you build on what you hear in this program. Discover what is available to take you deeper into God's Word when you visit michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll tell a friend about what you found on this podcast. And join us next week when we continue this study in the Gospel of Luke. For all of us on the team, including producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to In the Studio with Michael Carr.